So, yes. How do you like to? How do you start? Well, my whole attitude is we don't have to follow the picture if we don't want to. So, what do we? How do we start? So, I'm going to introduce you. Oh, okay. All right, great. Okay. Yes. Go ahead. Whatever. Now, hi. This is Steven Soderbergh. I'm here with Brian Koppelman and David Levine, writers of Ocean's Thirteen. And um, one thing that I want everybody to know uh, as they listen to this commentary is all three of our tracks were recorded separately. So if there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know, if things are a little weird or out of sync or we seem to be talking about three different things, that's why. We, uh, yeah, and uh, during the making of the movie, there were a few different times where we had to be in separate sound booths during shooting. Well, that was to keep the peace. Um, let's talk a little conceptually about the fact that uh, the movie used to start very differently. And in fact, we, we worked, we wanted to start with the scene of Brad because we all felt it was a good opening scene, but we ended up restructuring the opening a bit. We used to start with uh, the scenes where um, Elliot Gould and Al Pacino, Ruben and Willie Bank, have their little confrontation and all of that. But I'm glad we ended up with this. I think this is a stronger opening. Because you like Brad more than them, or? N- n- no, it's a, better, it's a better cold open, don't you think? Yeah. Yes. He's in the movie. I didn't cast Is that him. a showbiz term? Cold, Cold open. open. Where is it? Is it? I, <laughs> well, I'm in showbiz. It's actually a TV. Uh, I think it comes out of TV. Did you get your start? You got your start on television, right? Uh, yes, watching. Good. No, in fact, when we, Stephen, I remember shooting that scene. And uh, as a writer, when I say shooting that scene, I mean watching Stephen shoot the scene. But we looked, Dave, we looked at each other and said, bet you this ends up the opening of the movie. Oh, yeah. As soon as Brad came down that thing. Why didn't you say that to me? A little bit of a credit grab going on here. We we did say it to you. Oh. As I cuz your email to us when you finally changed it was remember how we talked about changing it? Yeah. Well, see, I said we. And there it is, the grab. Um, Thank you. Thank the you very only, much. The only interesting thing of note in this little airplane scene. Well, here's how we, one thing we should mention is is here, we there was a decision made early on on the third film to keep it as just the 11 guys. And to not bring uh, Julia or Catherine Zeta-Jones back for this film. There was a lot of discussion about this. And our way of handling it was to sort of have these oblique references at the beginning. And then there are these conversations throughout that uh, Danny and Rusty have. Um, I have to say, I feel like that was the right call for this movie. To keep it just the 11 guys. Questions? Comments? I, I didn't realize that the women aren't in it. Oh. Which one? We did write a lot of scenes. I, I remember writing scenes that they were in. you decided not to go with them. Oh, really? No, I know early on we had some globe-trotting stuff happening. No, you know, it was George's notion that the movie should be about the loyalty. 11 guys. Yeah. These 11 guys and their loyalty to one another and uh, them coming together for revenge. And actually to root it in something sort of emotional. Even though it's a comedy. And then the idea is that it, they wouldn't put anyone who wasn't essential to the plan in harm's way right. by including them because they felt like they were going up a guy against a guy who was... Dangerous. D- actually dangerous. So, I mean, that's the story rationale for it. And yeah, we think it makes sense. When it comes to Willie Bank, you can't rely on contracts. My lawyers say they're ironclad. Give me some credit for my business, Sacho, huh? I just don't think it's a good idea. Neither does Rusty. Well, I'm doing it. It's done. And you tell Rusty that I won't have to pull jobs. To um, this was a reshoot scene. We used to have uh, Danny and 
Rusty meeting with Ruben. Ruben was on a, a tr- uh, an elliptical. And we decided when we were in post that we, when we changed the order of these scenes that we, at least I felt it should be a little less jokey and that it was better if we were going to open with Brad that it should just be Danny seeing him. I agree. This does bring to mind a question, though. How do you so effortlessly effortlessly swing between calling these guys by their character names and then their real names? Because you go Brad and then you switch to Rusty and it's confusing for is me just confu- listening. Is it confusing? How do you keep it Wait, straight? Wait, which one? Are, is this Brian talking? Well, it's one of us. Because it's how so do you, dark in here. Is how, that Brian? How do you keep it straight? You just like, gotta, is that Al or is that Willie to you? Quick. Right now, yeah. it's Al. Okay. It's, now, is that because t- you don't think he was connected here in this moment? No, not at all. I guess when I'm you, looking at him you right You leave it now, on the shoot day. On the day, he's Willie. I don't know. It's, it's as you watch, as you watch, I think that shifts. I Hold think. on. Look at the expression of this guy. This guy who played uh, Elliot's right-hand henchman. He's brought, not Elliot's. He's, he's... I mean, um, Al's. Al's henchman, yeah. Right-hand man. Look, he brings a fearsome sort of uh, glower to the proceedings. Well, that's important. Yeah, he's got to have that. He delivers. I, I as you'll see in a second. His presence is going to become very relevant. Yes. Um, we should talk about how fortunate we all were to get Al Pacino. Absolutely. Things go better with Al. That's my motto. Isn't this where everybody breaks into their Pacino impression? Uh, I'm not going to go there. No, we should. You want to wait until later, Brian, or you want to get into it now? No, I'm, I thought you were going to. I was opening it up for you. Do you... Do you ever want to record one of these again? <laughs> you can't do your Al impression here. But no, one, Al, though, but, the great thing about Al is he brings such such weight and he's got such a history of these intimidating performances that he's a great adversary for the guys. Well, he also, as when, when the other cast members found out it was going to be Al, they all got very excited and everybody felt like when you have... Al Pacino, and you're doing a scene with him, you're bringing, you got to bring you're your A-level bringing your stuff. acting coach, yeah. I think. Actually, this might be a genuinely interesting thing, which is that there were these two old recordings that we listened to a lot when we were thinking about That's the character true. of Willie Bank and Al playing. These are sort of legendary recordings. It's Buddy Rich yelling at his band and Paul Anka yelling at his band. Both were recorded in the 60s, and both guys are sort of like the... You know, Buddy Rich has passed, but Paul Anka, who's still alive, is one of the last of those true sort of like... And to be fair, Paul Anka's not known as a guy who would do that all the time. This was supposedly a very bad situation, and he was really unhappy. He's not known as uh, a screamer. He, let me tell you, he's one, one of the great gentlemen, actually, of all time. Uh, I've had... And a personal friend of yours, Mr. Cox. He happens to be, but, uh, but when we were listening, we wanted a character who had, right... The, the charm, incredible ability. charm, yeah. but the ability to turn on you at a moment's notice. And so we were inspired by those things. And I think you gave... I gave Al those recordings, yeah. Those recordings. Yep. I don't know if you ever listened to them, but... I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. So as I, I was saying, these scenes, uh, uh, these scenes that we just saw, one of them was a reshoot with just George slash Danny... Um, used to be the opening of the film. All of this was was the opening, and um, I don't know about you guys, but I when I get in the editing room, I I like to try stuff. I'll move stuff around, cut you know, cut 
huge chunks. I mean, we did a we did after we looked at the first cut, we went back and did a lot of work because we felt we ought to. We had the time and the money. One of the cool things about making this movie was watching the way your process actually, um, which is pretty unique to what I've seen. That's a kind word for it. (laughs) Process is uh, you cut up to camera every day, basically. You take the the day before's footage and you edit the movie as you go, which is pretty unusual. That's that's pretty. That's not abnormal, right? Well, only I've never seen it. I mean, you've made many more movies than we have, but on any of the other films that we've made, usually you get to the end of shooting, there's a big pile, and then two weeks later, it's been assembled. Well, certainly, certainly, Stephen Marioni and I, when we've worked together, have made it a point of being as close to camera as possible. You know, as you remember also, we were reshooting stuff as we were shooting because we would see stuff assembled and say, we need another shot of this. The the big positive of that, too, as writers on, on set is... When you then would watch, when we would watch scenes cut together, if a piece of information was dropped, you go, oh, well, we can put that in scene 172. Exactly. Right. Or the character, I see that, you know, the cuts, the takes you chose at this point make the character um, appear a certain way. We better marry that to something right. else later or set it something up earlier. And without sort of being caught up and having scenes cut, you, you can't do that. You have to do it all later. Well, I feel like if you're if you're able to set up a circumstance where you can do that, it does. the The shooting is more. I don't know what the right word is. Uh, alive, or at least the movie is is continually evolving in front of you, and you have the opportunity, like you said, to to say, "Hey, based on what we just saw cut, why don't we make an adjustment in this later scene because it seems to be drifting in this direction instead of that direction." And uh, it also just felt like a real extension of the process that we started when we were writing. Year, we were yeah. working together writing the script um, because we would, you know, we would write passes, send them to you. You'd kick them back to us, shift stuff around, almost as if you were editing the movie at the script stage. And we, so, it, the whole po- process felt really incredibly fluid. Here's uh, here's something that we we did in a in a later round of shooting, which was to come up with this idea of Nagel, Roman Nagel, Eddie Izzard, coming to see these guys because they're stuck. There are a couple reasons we ended up doing that, but one of them I think we felt that if you have a character that legitimately needs to be told what's going on, that's better than having characters who know each other sort of telling each other things that when you watch you go, well, they would already know that. They don't need to talk to each other like that. I mean, to me, it was, it's, a good, it's a good premise to, to explain what's happening. Yeah, it's a good device. And because and, one of the difficult balancing acts in a movie like this, um, if I can use an expression like balancing act that you guys are making I, the fun of me. The question is whether you should use the word <laughs> difficult. <laughs> or movie. But, but, uh, but one of those things is figuring out in a con movie how much to reveal right. and, when. and when. You want to reveal enough that people are engaged but you don't want to reveal so much that they're bored beyond they're naturally being bored because you're bad at executing what you're trying to execute. Right. Here's a good time to talk about Phil Messina, our production designer. Um, one of the one of the things that was exciting about going back and, and doing this one more time was the knowledge that we were going to create from scratch a brand new casino. And yeah, Phil was, going back to Vegas was a great idea for yeah, the if, for the series again, and for for Phil to do his thing. To talk to Phil and say, all right, you know, 
design design a casino made by a, a billionaire crazy person. Uh, he really he went to town. I mean, this casino set was was pretty extraordinary. Yeah, it's the only casino Willie Bank could have. Well, exactly, and it's it's totally impractical. You would never, in reality, <laughs> as somebody told us, they don't have multi level casinos. There's there's that's it could lend to cheating too much. You can look down and see yes, but of course, cards and hands. We weren't very concerned with that. Um, but it's it's what I want to what I want to know, of course, is is if the visual effects are convincing enough so that people go to Vegas and look for the hotel. That's that I'm hoping to hear a, an anecdote about that. Here here's a little window into the creative Uh-oh. process. Here's a window, which is the way that we named Willie Banks' character. Do you remember? No. Uh, Dave and I had uh, flown in from from New York to sit with you, and we we decided all of us that we're creating this fictional character, and we had the name. Otto Bank, and you had the name Willie Snide. <laughs> Did I? I forgot. Willie Snide. Willie Snide. It was in your notebook. Oh, that's And funny. we were like, well, should it be Otto Snide? Should it be Willie Bank? And then we went, oh, as soon as we said well, Willie. Well, Bank carried the day because we had the tagline, do you have what it takes to break the bank? Right. Yeah, we came in with the tagline. We, well, because you need a tagline before you can start writing. Yeah, come mm-hmm. in with a tag. There, that's a little. That's, we're really, we're really. Right riding. towards your tagline. We just yeah. opened the kimono in a big way. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, because Willie Bank just sounds good. It just, it's got a nice sound to it. So when we actually start the commentary, will you tell us how you like to... They're going to edit all this. How you like to do it? Um, so uh, as, as we'll see throughout the film, the, the, the scale of the casino is, is pretty um, extraordinary. There are lots of floors, lots of levels, lots of hallways. We did a little bit of uh, movie cheating in that some of the... Some of the restaurant and corridor interiors um, we've stolen from other Vegas locations. People familiar with Vegas will recognize them. But Phil came up with this idea, this, these gigantic dice uh, in the lobby here, which I think is, is really bizarre. We should auction those off, don't you think? I could, you put that in your living room. This is your opportunity for if you guys see things that you thought I didn't do properly, this is the time. You can memorialize it instead of sending me nasty emails and CCing everybody in production. <laughs> that was only six times. Who says? All right, so you go through that for 10 million? No. I do it for 11 mil. This was another, this is another shot that we did in post because. Um, we wanted to set up more clearly this idea of torturing the VUP. We wanted to set up the dog bark, uh, the fake dog bark, which will become relevant soon. Um, it was, I mean, I think, like you said, these kind of movies are all about what information you're giving out when. And the good news for us about sort of assembling the movie quickly, we'd come in pretty pretty significantly under budget when we finished Principal Photography. We had the luxury of sitting down and basically asking ourselves if we could do anything to f- make this even better, what would we do? That was actually a, it great- was a great luxury because Brian and I like to err on the side of being completely incomprehensible. And so this was a great opportunity to actually make the audience understand what happens in the movie. Well, and we did. The Welcome ones- to the commentary, Dave. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, somebody just nudged my chair. So there's our producer, Jerry Weintraub, Denny Shields. This is a sort of it's a what do we what do you call that a, a callback or to, it's a reference to Ocean's Twelve. So that's a what? Sure, a callback. Is that a callback? A reference? <laughs> no, there's there's a showbiz term. I thought it was a callback. 
Anyway, Jerry's playing Denny Shields. See, I'm going to go back and forth on that, calling him Denny Shields or calling him Jerry. Denny Shields is a great name. Where'd you now, guys come up with that? Who's that guy who's on the right now? This guy right here. That guy, the what's guy his that's name? talking now? Y- yeah. Danny Ocean. Okay. That's Danny. Remember, yeah. because George, when we're shooting, yeah, it's true. has to be called Danny. Are you allowed to? They'll cut, they'll edit that out, right? No, no, it's not, it's, it's not, I'm not saying, it's not illegal to live in the third person. It's just unfortunate. Okay. You're the director. Anyway, during the shooties, Danny. This was a great location. I'm not going to tell you where, because um, I want you to think it's Mexico. And you don't remember? Though it might. I do remember. It might be interesting to talk about how the, how we got this, this notion that they'd the, have to go uh, to Mexico. Remember when we met with the dice experts in... Yes, and they are all made in Mexico. When we were meeting with um, the guys who are the box men and dice guys at one of the casinos in L.A., we said, well, how Vegas. would you get loaded in, Ve- in Vegas? I mean, thanks, Dave. Uh, I, I said, we said, uh, how would you put bad dice in? And they said, it'd be impossible. You know, they're checked this way, this way, this way. The moment they leave the factory, they're never not guarded and then the three of us looked at each other like well what happened Factory. before and they what leave? if we sent the Malloy brothers there <laughs> yeah I can't remember at what point we determined that the whole um, labor strife angle was I, I remember we came I remember it was at Jerry's house like somehow right before we came out there Dave and I had, had that thought and we it's working with you I mean for the Stephen gives people actors, tech, tons of freedom to sort of generate lots of ideas and throw them at him. And uh, I remember we came in with this notion of what if Virgil then stri- starts a strike. And, you you know, on that day, we probably came in with eight or nine thoughts. You probably liked four of them. And right. that was one that you immediately went. It's a, it's a, it's one of my favorite sort it's of just It's so subplots. oddball on a con movie. It's just something that people aren't going to really be expecting. I'd swear you were being evasive, but the machine says you're clean. I'm just a little nervous. I really want this job. You can relax now. Welcome to Shuffle Royale. The Shuffle Royale. Well, I doubt I've heard the last of that. Eddie Jemison, who plays Livingston, who I I don't know if I met. I've known Eddie since I was 20. I know him. He went to LSU um, when I was living in Baton Rouge. Known him a long, long, long time. Um, I can probably find you someone to do that. Another thing to talk about is the when you're making a movie like this trying to balance at trying to service everybody's character and and have not only the actors but the audience feel like each character got some screen time got something to do got has has a little moment that belongs to them specifically and uh that can be tricky it's, uh, i mean I, I certainly find that in it's hard to judge that stuff until you've seen it all together because things you think are going to have a certain weight sometimes don't. And with guys, with a cast like this, the guys are so talented. In a way, sometimes we felt like if we just give them a good place marker and a good idea, they're going to bring something on the day that's going to be so great that it's going to make its own place. This is a scene that, again, plays sort of in a... was a longer scene in the original version of the movie and played like came halfway through the film. And um, we turned it more into the setup montage here. Although I, I could make a whole movie of George wearing that outfit. It's a sort of Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury cover band. Yes. Exactly. He could be the lead singer of the Queen cover band. 
tribute band, excuse me. Yeah. So we came up, this is what we, uh, this is our through line for Frank, because we're very anxious to have something good for Bernie Mac. We actually met with uh, this uh, this guy who invented table games for, for Vegas, and he told us all about the Gaming Expo, which is a huge opportunity for for game inventors to launch a game that's going to make them rich for life. And did he mention dominoes, or did you, you guys come no, up with No, we came up with that. Oh, with sticky fingers. Oh, this right here, Don McManus, this actor, is one of the great sort of Hollywood that guys. Yes. Like, he's in all these movies, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that guy. guy. He's great in this. That was your guys' call. We were looking, this is something, we did this during principal photography, uh, but near the end. It was one of these things that as we were watching assembled cuts of the movie, we thought, this guy needs to be set up. The pit boss. Exactly. And you guys, we needed uh, somebody on that uh, was happy to show up soon, and you guys said Don, and he was great. You know him from your TV show, Tilt. Right, right yeah, he was, on, he was on Tilt. He played Stan Lowball Rogers. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a, a character named Lowball. That's, you got to yeah. be happy playing that. You know, he, I'm he, sure Don was. Don was thrilled. He was great. This was... Uh, I think I can uh, mention without being punished that uh, Ruben's house, for the most part, um, is a location that belongs to somebody on the film. And uh, the craft service guy does very well. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, what do you want to say that for? <laughs> That's not nice. Wait a second. The producer wait, just I, walked wait, in. Wait, no, no, no. Oh, I thought Steven, we weren't we going to do. We're I, we said we weren't going to do Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> um. By the way, uh, it is another important thing to learn if you're out there thinking you're going to be a writer. See, the director makes a crack, you immediately laugh. Well, you guys are... You heard the two... You must be really good writers. Two of the best. Um, Top of the food chain. Yes. We took advantage of the fact when we were doing uh, reshooting and setting up this new plot line about the Greco, Matt was in London shooting the third Bourne film, which actually played out perfectly for us because we had this idea that Greco was a classmate of Roman Nagel, which would have been in England anyway. So we got, we, the movie gods were with us. Danny, I like you. And you, Rusty. I mean, you got style. You got brio. You got loyalty. But what I was going to say was we had, a, we, had a, we had a lot of pages to shoot at this location and not a lot of time. And uh, we had to move very quickly, which you can only do if uh, you're lucky enough to have people who can memorize pages of dialogue and do them quickly and, and well. And a maestro behind the camera, economizing with those shots. What, what do we shoot, like 8 or 11 pages or something ridiculous in one day? And if you watch this scene, if you watch this scene you'll see that, that it's basically four or five shots that link together. That I was, instead of doing coverage, which takes a long time, I, we blocked the scene, and then I came up with basically four shots that 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 move in chronological order and are linked by a cut, um, because I knew if I didn't do it that way, we'd never get out of there. But you thought that way quite a bit in this movie. I mean, it wasn't about the coverage because you, you kept no, it yeah, naturally. I mean, it certainly, in a way. it's it's certainly organic to to the style of the film. But in this case, literally, more of an this section of the scene, we uh, there was a neighbor who. Um, 
had made it clear that there was going to be a cutoff time. And so we had to knock these pages out and be out of there by certain. We were really sweating it. Every permutation in every wager in every seat in the entire casino, hand by hand. This is a new security room. The first version of the security room wasn't nearly this elaborate. Uh, one of our ideas was to sort of beef up uh, the security. And I think that was a good call. Another Filmacina special. And then I remember doing, he talks about exabytes here. Remember that day we were trying to, we went online to find out what all the exa, tera. Oh, yeah, to, to find out terabytes, exabytes. Well, yeah, we were trying to figure out how you would um, mess up a security system like this. And we called a friend of ours down in Houston, Texas named Joe Hardy who's a recording engineer but knows everything about this. He goes, oh, well, what you do is... Oh, that's right. We talked about some sort of device that generates magnetic waves in the same way that you don't leave, you know, a video cassette on top of a, a loudspeaker yeah. because of the magnet inside. And he was the yeah. one who said you could get a device in there. You, if you got a magnetron yeah. in there. Because you get a magnetron a up in people there. People think we made that up. There is a magnetron. Yeah, microwave ovens run on a kind of magnetron. Right. So that was where... That was a good save. Yeah, I remember you calling him and him saying, if you had a very sophisticated system, that would be bad if you brought one of those in. And then this day, we got to thank uh, your friend Shane Carruth. Lots of people popped in. Shane Carruth is right. a terrific young filmmaker. Shane Carruth, who wrote and directed and starred in and cut uh, Primer, which is a great movie, was uh, there visiting. Uh, and he gave us one term. Resonant frequency. We said, what do you call the thing? you?" And he goes, oh, that would be the re resonant frequency. Which and, uh, is when it's the 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 story behind that is, for instance, if you were to march uh, soldiers across the Golden Gate Bridge and they were all marching in unison, apparently uh, when they got about halfway across, the thing would start to vibrate and break apart because they would have essentially turned the bridge into a tuning fork and it would reach the resonant frequency and it would start to fall apart. That's the theory. Right, right. I'm yeah. not going to test That it. came off of Cheech and Chong's it wild did San Francisco Adventure did side two, song two. He is, let me tell you, Tommy Chong has been persecuted mercilessly. Agreed. Well, don't get me started. That's your exit strategy. Anyway, uh, this was another shot that, that I uh, wanted to get during our second round of shooting because I felt we wanted to set the drill up some more. And um, yeah, on these movies, I, I guess part of the fun of them is is these sorts of contraptions, which it, this thing is, in theory, moving along underneath the, the streets of Vegas. The this, drill, this the drill actually, idea. It was like your, one of your very first ideas when we were just talking conceptually. Yeah. You said to us, I just have like a, a visual image of like an extremely slow-moving drill. I'm not sure what it's doing. So we tried to build a reason I'm for really it to be sorry. there. <laughs> when, when, when we started working, this was a great thing, and I think probably to, uh, I would have been interested to hear this. Part of the way you work, Stephen, is right when you're thinking about making a movie, even years before, any ideas that you have, like even if they're not connected uh, specifically to story, you'll write them down right. and collect them in, in these notebooks. And so... We would come in the beginning. We would come out and to we LA. We were just sort of, yeah. We were. We were just spitballing we went through the list. ideas, and you just kind of went down all these different, primarily visual ideas, or like a punchline, right. disconnected things that, I think, more than half of which. Really, I feel like it was, you know, twenty percent because a lot of them, a lot of them get kicked out quickly once you've got the story and you realize that we're just not going there. This, this was. I don't think I had another. I feel like this was the only idea that required this much 
service. Like the, the drills no. took a what lot a, of support. What, yeah. what, what about uh, pulling a, bill, uh, a room off of a... And now we modified it, and we didn't take the whole room oh, off. pulling a room out of your, a room. Your idea was stealing a room. Right. That yeah. was one of your things was stealing a room. And then we had to figure out, what does that mean? You go, I don't know. I just think it'd be cool <laughs> right. if somehow a whole room was oh. taken stolen. off, yeah. stolen from a hotel. And then, it, you know, I that idea then mutated that. into lifting the little diamond. Uh, I'm, I, what about the nose thing? The nose I was because I've always wanted to do that. The nose came from a conversation you had with Matt. Yeah, because he didn't get to wear it in on Brothers. An earlier movie, he wasn't allowed to wear it, and you yeah. went, "Is there something we could do with the nose?" And this, I would have you go, There's "Something we could do with the nose." And then we thought that was so funny that then we built the whole together. The three of us right. built this whole idea about the nose and his insecurity about wearing the nose. And here's an example of a scene we reshot Al's side of this scene during production. Because we felt it was the first, the first version of it was the first thing Al shot on the movie. And I think we all felt when we looked at it in, in comparison to stuff that Al had done subsequent to it, that, that he'd like found Willie Bank and that we, since this is the first thing we shot, you know what it was? I mean, I, I can tell you what I think it was. When I went back to Al and said, I want to do that scene again. Um, I said, you weren't wearing your glasses. And these glasses are, to me, so... The power they're frames. They're the Willie Bank. It, right. And he, he absolutely jumped all over. He goes, absolutely. These gla-, he goes, literally, when I put the glasses on, I feel like that guy. He was so happy to come back and be able to do, you know, and he had a different energy because he was, he was channeling. <laughs> And obviously, uh, Brad's got a pretty funny disguise going. Remember the visual reference that we came up with that? Well, who for was, for who, hair and makeup? Who was our... The Skunk Baxter. Oh, that's right. Jeff, Jeff Skunk, Skunk Baxter. Baxter. That's who he's supposed to be. I had to, I had to talk Brad into the, into the shorts. He was, he was tentative about the shorts. I told him... You're more used to talking him out of the shorts, aren't you? Well, I, I will say it was... It was bizarre on the day that we did the scene I was talking about where Danny comes to see Ruben to tell him not to make the deal with Willie Bank. Brad was there in the house because we were shooting all those other scenes, and he was sitting there. I, I realized, I, as I, I do this a lot, I make a decision in my head and don't share it with other people. And I realized probably a week earlier that I just wanted it to be Danny and Ruben and not Rusty. <laughs> <laughs> and Brad was there with the old version of the scene because the dialogue didn't change that much. And uh, I had to tell Brad Pitt to leave because I didn't want him in the scene. Did that make you feel powerful? It, it, I, I, won- I wondered how often that happens to him. <laughs> but did it make you feel powerful? No. I was worried because I realized, oh, shit, nobody, nobody said anything. I didn't tell him. <laughs> and he, was, he, was, you know, he said, oh, okay, great. He went upstairs and, uh, you know, did what, uh, what you do if you're Brad. This is, uh, I like these kind of scenes, I have to say, in, in that um, it looks like they're, whatever they're doing is going to be very bad for somebody. I don't, uh, I don't, in a certain context, this kind of uh, torture is, you know, is, are, they get good yucks out and of it. And it's a setup that, that has to hang for quite a while yes. before you get the payoff. There, there were a few moments writing this movie when, 
we would look at each other, Dave and I, and think like that's like a, a Soderbergh kind of a moment. Like that will work in a if you look at all your films. And one of them was when these guys pour the bottles with nothing in it. Right. <laughs> Remember, Dave? We came. We were yeah. like, the, this the, is the empty bottles. The empty bottles. We're like that fits in. I think you said in the Soderbergh oeuvre. Dave. Really? I said oeuvre. So you're saying what does that mean? What? So I'm, I think so you're <laughs> saying I have nothing inside. Interpret I'm, it how you that. wish. Interpret it how you wish. Dave wow. said oeuvre. I you just you know, I'm just saying you could have said that without a recorder going. You could have said that to me any at any point over the last year and a half instead of today. I was saving it. Oh. I there that was it. But um that was a scene I have to admit. I wasn't sure how to shoot so I shot that I Sometimes I'll go in with an idea. I didn't have an idea there, and I dumped all of that in Stephen Marioni's lap and just said, make it as weird as you can. And uh, he did. He made magic with it. He's, uh, he, he can fix almost anything. Go. Go, go. Look at Ellen. Ellen's wearing very tight dresses, and she can pull it off. Certainly more than I could. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was really happy that we had something good for Saul, this, you know, that we had a, a nice character for him to play. Because it's great. I think one of the other conversations that we had when we started this was how much we enjoy. How, we wanted to get back to the role playing, that it's fun to watch these guys role play and to play a, a character and watch them improvise in the moment. And. Part of the fun of when we were sort of sketching this out was coming up with characters for people to play. And when you say improvise, you mean the characters improvising. It's not as if the actors were changing those words that we sort of worked so hard to get exactly right. R right. Okay. I don't want people to think that you encourage improvisation. To Absolutely go willy nilly. Not. Absolutely not. Uh, no, no, no. All of this was very, very. There isn't a breath. Or a, a head turn that I, I don't think is, yeah, that's not indicated in the script. And actors like that. I like the way that you don't refer to it as the script when we're shooting, but you call it the Bible and everybody knows what you're talking about. Really? I called it the Bible. No, I didn't. Would you like to follow me? I think I might be able to move things along. How very nice of you. No, 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 no. Greg, Greg Jacobs, our, our AD slash producer, um, who's... Better at most people than figuring out what I want when I'm not telling anybody. Um, will sometimes, because what I'll do often is I'll have those little shrunk down pages uh, for the day's work. With besides. The sides. And um, what I'll do is in the morning I'll come in early, look at the area that we're going to shoot in and the scene. And if I have some ideas, then I'll start writing them down on the back of the pages of the sides. Or if it's a scene that involves a lot of performance stuff, I'll, I'll bring everybody in immediately and we'll block it out and then I'll write down um, how I want to shoot it, which means that then Greg will, will follow me and try and grab the pages out of my hand, which he'll, he'll say, can I look at the Koran uh, to see what we're going to be doing? Um, I'm trying to use technology on the, on the film I'm preparing now. There's that script notes function in Final Draft, where you can essentially do what I've been doing, but have it in the script where everybody can read it. Right. And I think this is going to be, this is going to be a good thing for production. It's, it'll be like the Zohar. What's that? 
the Kabbalah equivalent of the Quran. Wow. Everything is in the Zohar. How say. far in did you get? Well, you know. You don't have to You're not wearing far. the thing. No, as I'm long not, as I'm you, not a, as long as you touch not the wrist. book or look at it, it imparts the wisdom to you. Yeah, it's, everything's. I know another thing. I know. I'm, Can you explain this double cut or this one? That. What do you it think he's smoking not? And then it starts smoking. We just had that. But it's the wrong kind of smoke. You're unhappy with that? No. Well, you said to point out this is the opportunity. The the thing starts smoking to a degree, and then there's a double cut there, a jump cut, and right. it's like. It's less smoky than it was before. And then and it, it starts smoking again. Right. There's no why. We're just wondering no. about the scientific sort of backing. For oh, just look cool? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not just about the smoke. It's about a lot of other elements in the frame. Um, I, know, I, know I, I know I can, I don't know if credit is the right word, but I, there are a couple of smell gags in this movie, and I know that I was, I was a big proponent that of That was in the book. In the book was... Which book? Your book. Oh, is it my your notebook? Your notebook. Smell. One of the things was a scene where there's a really bad smell. Yes. And we tried it a oh, many different right. ways. We had, we had the detectives convention yep. that, that Rusty... Like, stunk them out of. Uh, yeah. Crashes and then skunks them out. Uh, yeah, I'm saying when you... Like that notebook, I don't know we kept why trying I, why to... Why do I find that funny? It's very infantile. But Dave, although I will say... David, David Paymer's reaction there is sold it. hilarious. Hilarious. He, he chokes. We wrote that. This is, this is a, a good insight, I think, also into your process, Stephen, uh, why you're really, when you're clear about things. I don't mean clear in the, uh, that other version of the, what the word means. In a sense of coherent. But uh, we wrote that part, and literally every day we were writing and talking about it, we were like, this is for David Paymer. David Paymer's got to play this part. And then when we finished writing it, Dave and I were like, Oh, it's so obviously a David Paymer part that maybe he shouldn't play it. Right. But, and we got distracted all the way away from it. And you went, I don't know, it's for David Paymer. That's the guy. He's, and of course, 100%. Oh, he's fantastic. Um, Casey, in the scene that we just saw, Casey wound me up about the Spanish in this up until the moment we started shooting. He kept pretending, very convincingly, he kept pretending that he thought the idea that we were going to shoot those in Spanish was was a joke that I was playing on him. And that he needed somebody to translate the lines? No, or he was just, you? he was like, no. I'm, no, seriously, I'm going to do it in English, right? Yeah, he just kept pretending that, that he knew that I was playing a joke on him. Up until we did take one. Uh, it was, and then he's fantastic at it. But the good news with David, and when we, um, when we tested the film, uh, everybody tapped right into the whole experience of the VUP. They just, they went with it in a big way. And I feel like David now, David doesn't ever have to do this again. Oh, he's done it. Yeah. That this, he can, this could be his swan song as the, as, as a VUP character type. It's, it is, it's the knee plus ultra of... (gasps) It's sort of a okay, no, no, We have to stop now. And have, we have to stop now and have a conversation. Did he just say that? <laughs> he said it. What, is that is that the way it's pronounced? Yes. <laughs> oh my! How did you god. have it? Oh my god! How would you have said it? I Plus, wouldn't have said it. Right. I just wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. Wise choice. That's bold. Well, that was you the just knee, jumped off the cliff. I did. It was the knee flu ultra of something else. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Um, 
I rerouted all the so we've got our we've got our shuffle it, king. It, it, if I were to use an expression in our first meeting about the movie, would we have not gotten the job? It depends if you'd if you'd said it with an awareness of how absurd it is. Well, I did just now. Yes, but people couldn't see your face. I mean, I can't see you either. <laughs> that's the that's the cur- that is the courage, isn't it? Yes. That's the discipline. That you would risk strangers thinking that you're the kind of person who would use that phrase. It's, it's bold. Thank you. Um, anyway, Brian, Brian what so do you think? <laughs> he's, he's opting out of this whole thing. So we're, we're continuing to service the, uh, the Shuffle King idea, which we, uh, as we go through the film, we'll describe how that evolved. Because um, we, we did a change of... Uh, we changed it up a little halfway through the movie. It used to play out in a different way. Again, torturing uh, David Paymer with bad food. I don't know why this is amusing, but it, it is. It just is. This gag know. was supposed to be called the Ernie Ladd, the big cat. The introduction of a foreign object, as the old wrestler was known for. That's right. We do. I hope this is going to be in one of the in one of the booklets. We do. We did. Uh, I know. We sat down and we did a glossary of terms for all three films. Every time there's a reference like a Billy Martin. We did a glossary of what they all, they all do have derivations. We did, people think these are just arbitrary, but we did, we did, uh, are those we did invent gonna be them. online or something? Pardon? Oh yeah. I think they're putting the glossary in the, uh, they wanted to put it in the, at the website. We're doing this commentary before the movie's even been released. So we don't even know if anyone will it, care. It's true for us to say that Paymer never needs to do this again. Maybe three people will see the movie, you yeah. know, but if they feel that he shouldn't do it again, then right. he should think about it. But um, this, again, is uh, when we get to the, the, the stuff that's on the bed. This is. It's like a five-part gag. It's a lot of stuff. By the way, how good is your team, Stephen? Your props people are... Props, costume design, production design. I, I mean, a level of specificity that they delivered. Yes. Very, very. And yes, they're great. They are great. And they have, like I said, they have, like you said, they have, they bring great ideas to the table. One thing we, one thing we never solved perfectly is, is the, is the idea that at that point, why doesn't he just leave the hotel completely? We never quite, I know we talked about it and we just couldn't come up with a, we, the bottom line is we need him to stay there a little longer mm-hmm. and we never really... I guess we'd hope the idea was he was so sick he, he couldn't was, move. He had mobilized. Okay, I'm going to go with that then. This, by the way, this is a set which is is uh, supposed to sort of connect us to. It's all Ruben's house, but it's supposed to be a, a, a connection to the real location where we shot a lot of Ruben's house. Another great job by Phil. And uh, things are heating up down in Mexico, apparently. So he says they want their bread and they want their roses. Have you ever been uh, in a protest? I was in a lot of protests in college. Yeah. Yep. And were they like that? They were similar, but we would. it was the admin building. They weren't chain link fences. But we did take the admin building a few times in college. You did? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? 100%. Yeah, what did you do, you do with it? it? Well, the idea was to force the university. The man, no, the man. Well, the university, <laughs> Stephen, uh, to divest 
from their interests in companies that had holdings in South Africa. Oh, excellent. This is when there was apartheid. Oh. And, uh... This is why I didn't go to college, because I didn't really... I don't have time for that. What, the reason you were a campus radical, if you were me, is it was a very... The, the girl... You know what I'm saying? Was, no, I don't know what you're saying. It was... Are you saying you used it as a social event? Yes. Oh, okay. Just checking. Partially. Yes. Is that I also so wrong? Believed, I was a believer... But but also there were... It was a great way to meet I people. I was a believer with benefits. Yes, exactly. Well, that's the world for you. Where did you guys come up with the language for this? Nipple sleeve receivers? Was this... Did you... How did this originate? We scoured it's convincing, technical journals. It's very convincing gibberish. It sounds like it actually makes sense. I think... Well, you ca- you might have come up with the word nipple sleeve. No, I did not. Uh, I, fr- I think I, that was all generated in-house, so... That's right. a credit or blame scenario for us. For the guys? Yeah. I remember us having the... The when alloys of different densities abrade. <laughs> yeah, remember braid. that? Yeah. Abrade, I remember. was Yeah, the, that was Brian's phrase. And then he broke it down for the layman. It's like a, a knee joint without any cartilage. Right. <laughs> so there you go. Um, here's a good time to talk about the fact that when making the Oceans films, um, I try to compose shots in which you see as many of the characters in frame at once as possible. Here's one, here's one where, not only because I wanted to shoot at a certain time of day, because it's, it's beautiful, where it's sort of the, what they call the magic hour here, when the sun is down, but it hasn't gotten dark. Um, we had a lot of dialogue, though, with a lot of people talking, and we had to do a few takes. But again, it would have been impossible for me to cover this scene and get that light I would have to have shot it over the course of four or five days, actually, which would have been really uneconomical. Um, but if you watch the film, you'll see that that I, there aren't actually a lot of close-ups, and when there are, they're not they're not usually singles. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly trying to keep this sense of that they're of, together. Of they fill the frame together. Mm-hmm. The good news is when you work with people like this. They're totally into that. There's, they want to share the frame. They're not afraid to. Because often big actors want their own close-up. I think we've all heard those stories about w- whether it's ego or the fact that they don't get along of, of close-ups being shot, you know, at different times. Well, the camaraderie is real between these guys. I mean, it's written about a lot in relation to these movies. But, I mean, to watch it, it's great to see how well all the guys they, get along. I, it is uh, all I can tell for – all I can say to anybody who finds the, the whole – you know, thing smug or whatever is that these people genuinely like each other. You get beaten in, you get beaten out. And then further to that thing you were talking about, about the shots, you... you, What is that from? If you want to join... It's a gang, he's saying. It's like, you know, you get beaten in and then you get beaten out. Oh, okay. That's what they did to us. Uh, Oh, did they? You didn't have to... No. You you really didn't? Mm -mm. They never hit you? No, I'm not in the gang. (laughs) What were you saying? Did I interrupt you? We may not be in the gang either. I was buttressing your filmic point from earlier. That's a nice one. Um, Which is, I think, that you didn't want to try to tie the adversaries into the shots with the guys. I mean, occasionally you had to because of the the sets or whatever, but generally... Well, like with with Al and George, you'll notice that the scenes that they have together, I'm always... They're almost either profiles or I'm never... I wasn't sure how I wanted to shoot them, and I didn't really have a plan other than I knew I never wanted to shoot a traditional over-the-shoulder shot 
of Al or George when they had a scene together. Because you didn't want to link them in that way. I, yeah, I just, I did, I just didn't want to. I wanted it to be odd. I wanted it to be something. I wanted the, the angle to be oblique enough to where you, the eye lines were wide, and you never felt like they were looking at each other in a traditional movie. Where, I don't know why. I just said no over the shoulders where their eyes are tight to the lens. Was that a, like a note that you'd made to yourself yeah. beforehand yeah. really consciously? And, yeah, absolutely. And so when we went to these locations, wherever we were shooting George and Al, when we would block the scene and then I would figure out you know, what angle was sort of oblique right. and not something almost not right about it. You could really see it like at the construction site and at the sumo. And at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was... Uh, Steven, can you talk about how hard it is for an actor to actually play a scene? Like, we make Brad play here. Oh, man. All because this, it's really like people don't... Uh, it's like He came and thanked got, us for the heavy lifting. He's got a lot of stuff to say that doesn't connect to anything. And it actually doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no, exactly. And he has to... I, I think when you talk to actors and, and, and if you were to ask them about the sheer volume, volume of material to be memorized, they'll all tell you if it makes sense, if there's some logic to it, that there's, a, there's an actual story, that they don't find it that difficult. This stuff is really hard because there's no narrative. It's just loopy Dialogue. Gibberish, if you will. Yeah. I mean, you always try to give something like we all to not, like that. Brad just rattled off the name of four, fame. You know, in the architecture world, really right. renowned architects, which is something he's interested in. But still, it's this is another. This seems another example of how sometimes your the simplest task can become just impossible to execute. We have this scene as scripted. We get there in the morning. And I can't figure out how I want to cover this. I literally can't. I've try, I try three different ways. Remember. And finally, I sent everybody to lunch. We'd done the first shot, the pullback from the drill. We well, rehearsed. People, we people rehearsed, may not we realize that there was about three feet of space yeah, beyond it's, the it's actors. Tiny. There's nowhere to shoot, so that made it I sent more everybody difficult. away. I had the table there, and I had the stand-ins. And then finally, I was looking. I couldn't come up with a shot. And finally, I asked somebody to move the table. And I sat down with the viewfinder where the table was and looked up and thought, okay, this is how we should do it. That's not, you know, those are shots that have been done 10,000 times. I'm just saying on that day, it took me two and a half hours to figure out that's how it should be done. But once you thought of it... Then it, we were done in two hours. You did it mm -hmm. literally. It's like I just turned the camera thinking. around in a circle and we did all the coverage in two hours and we wrapped early. Um, Which was good because the studio I had heard had had calls to all sorts of directors who work faster than me. Yeah, they got had calls out everywhere. Again, you know, I'm always looking for opportunities, if possible, to play scenes in as few cuts as I can. Why? I think I, when I'm watching... Thanks for asking. When I'm watching a movie, I want to see some... There should be some part of it within a scene or within the movie overall that looked like it was hard, that looked like it required some amount of skill or proficiency or difficulty. You know what I mean? I don't. I want to see stuff that I look at and go, that doesn't look easy. That's interesting. I was reading in David Mamet's book that just came out, Bambi versus Hollywood. He was saying that it really bothers him. Godzilla. Bambi versus Godzilla. He was saying it really bothers him when if an actor's playing piano, you go down and show the actor's hands because he feels you're trying to show, oh, 
that is difficult and that takes away from the story. You find that it's it's interesting if there's um, a level of sort of artisanship at, at play, right? Well, I feel I feel uh, like if, if I watch a movie where I look like – if I watch a movie in which basically every shot and every scene looks like it was executed with a minimum of effort, that bugs me. That's different from making a movie that's that's simple. I'm just saying there's got to be some aspect of the movie, whether it was in the writing or whether – there's got to be some aspect of it that I think – that was hard. Like, that was hard. You grade on difficulty points a little I bit. Think, yeah, because... You refute I, Mr. Mamet's assertion. Well, I'm just saying that could be because this is my job, and, and I feel like I can tell when somebody's dogging it. Right. And that bugs me, because most people I know go to work, and they're killing themselves to come up with something that they feel is interesting and alive. And so... If I feel like somebody goes, hey, you know, the easiest thing to do is just put the camera there and turn it this way and then turn it that's that way. That's what you don't want to do. Well, I just feel like then... And how do you think the actors... That's not, that's not directing to me. That's how, not filmmaking How do you me. think the actors feel about trying to execute, like, when they understand When they understand the payoff, they, they're happy. The they other like thing the is challenge. you have to remember, they love playing scenes f- f- all the way through because right. they get a rhythm going as right. performers. You ask any act, that was one of the things... I want to go back to one thing because I think it's interesting that you, that you said uh, because but you would say or a question is this was dangerous by the way this sequence was yes really dangerous. it was amazing that he had the guts to do to that to do that um, but you don't want the viewer to be sucked out of the drama of the scene to notice the sort of bravura exactly. camera work yeah. right you want I don't want to be the kind I, of thing yeah. that maybe shows up the third time that they watch the right. film I'm asking is that correct yeah absolutely Absolutely. And not, not that I'm going to sit here and say that there are shots in this movie that, that you know, if you're a filmmaker, are going to um, make you envious. But I'm just saying, for, okay, here, here's a very small example. This walk and talk with Brad and George. We talked about, I've always wanted to shoot a shot along the strip at dawn mm-hmm. because it's, it's so weird. Like the light's really beautiful. There's nobody out. We weren't even holding up foot traffic. Here. Right. There's nobody there. It's five minutes to six in the morning. And I wanted the camera to, you know, we had to, we, we, we had the platform with the dolly built uh, in, in days the before in yeah. the water. Uh, I've got the B camera further out in the water. The shot's coming up here. You know, we did four or five takes. They had to do the whole scene. And then the light was different. And then that was we're it. out of there. So this isn't to say this is the hardest shot in the world. But there was, there was a certain amount of thought and preparation that went into getting it getting it at the right time and getting shots that look nice that don't just come about by showing up on the day and doing the bare minimum. You know what I'm saying? Right. You always call it, when you're shooting, it's funny, people think what the life of a triple A-list Hollywood director oh, is. you are. Platinum. Yeah, platinum level director <laughs> is. And uh, Ten. A, basically a five-quadrant director. And, well, they want to know what the life is like, and they assume it's filled with parties and showgirls. But there will be many nights... But when that isn't happening, I'm thinking about the movie. There will be many nights when one would call you, and this might have just been your dodge to not have to hang out with the writers, but where you would say, I have to go do my homework. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we were writing the movie, you would say that when you were in prep. and, And, you know, what's clear is that you really do do your homework, that you come in with 
pages of notes for each of these scenes. Well, certainly when we're when we're prepping, I'm going through the script. If I have any ideas at all, I'm writing them down. When we're shooting, every night, I watch. You don't. I watch. I watch a cut of whatever we've got assembled so far, a minimum of three times a week, sometimes more. And I'm looking at it, trying to determine if there's anything else that needs to be done to it. Also, you know, even though these films have a certain grammar to them visually, you still, as you shoot them and you're doing scenes, the the specificity of that grammar becomes more and more apparent, which is why I keep watching what we've done to make sure that what I'm doing is is linking up. One more puff piece about Vegas legend Terry Benedict. I'm going to have to buy a magazine of my own. And I haven't forgotten about that phone. Uh, the gold model, the one that retails for $10,000. The, the one common element to all three of these films is the zoom. These films, to me, are all about the zoom lens. It's, it's, a, it's something that not a lot of people use anymore that you really can't use a lot. You can't really use it in a serious movie because it's, yeah, kind, why it's is, a toy. Why is, this, why is there this big snobbery towards using Zoom? Because I think it got, you know, it got overused and then it got assimilated by commercials and it just it became a cliche right. and something that was kind of cheesy. I, on the first Oceans, knew right away, you know, I'm going to use the Zoom a lot. And that's become the sort of anchor for me visually. Um on these movies but every night you know I watch the stuff usually silent mm-hmm. um, to think about how how we're going to do tomorrow or how we're going to you know I like to if I'm feeling and if I want to feel really secure I'll try and do like a week's worth of notes about what we're shooting that week mm-hmm. and then every night sort of refine Tune it. it up and you don't storyboard no and do you ever like write down camera positions or based on your set or if diagram I have, anything if I have a very specific idea I might um, but it's 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 rare I usually want to wait until I see the actors in the space mm-hmm. before I I'm you know I make a real decision about you want to let them find it as opposed to telling them where to stand and what yeah to do. even though I think they're there this is a really pretentious theory well break it I, out okay here we go um, to my mind there there's there's subjective directing and there's objective directing Subjective directing is when you're when you're creating images in which you are obviously aware of the outcome already. You're you're designing shots in which the 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 the, the, the director effect. knows right. what the scene is before you've seen the scene. Objective directing is is a style of directing in which it would seem as though you're shooting in such a way to indicate you don't know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So subjective directing would be a three-minute dialogue scene in which somebody, at the end of it, takes a, a drink of water that has some relevance, and they put it down on the table as the camera lands just in the right place to give it a certain prominence. That's a subjective scene because you knew going in that scene was about the glass and of water. And you choose what? And you're choosing to... I'm saying, which do you prefer? It depends on the script. Right. It, this, an Oceans movie, to me, for me to pretend... Although there are scenes in here that are shot in a sort of sloppy handheld no, style. No, but I was thinking of the light being turned on in the scene at the beginning when Brett, when you cut right. to Ling- England. Right. And that's a subjective. It's clear that you built that thing to get to that moment. Right. Or landing on the VUP's can I just, room number. Can I just say that oh, this Oh, we scene, need to talk about Oprah because this is, Brian, this was your baby. It's out, yeah, I mean, it's the two Do of us. Do you want to confess? Uh, yeah, Brian is, in this scene, these guys are the much more handsome, actualized 
How's it going? Cooler version of you guys. Version of the two of us. I'm Danny and David gets to be Brian, Brian's the closet Oprah fan. I'm an Oprah fan. And Dave maybe will act at first like he's not, but then see. I, I discovered him on more than one occasion, sort of missed it up while wow. watching Oprah. Yeah, wow. yeah, but then this thing happens to you, just like what happened to Brad. Yeah, I get drawn into it. You can't help getting drawn into Oprah. This was a this was a shot we did in post because we wanted to layer in Tulur earlier. We did the shot of him seeing Scotty Khan walking through the corridor, and we added that shot because Matt was in England. You guys been talking to my father? Why would we do that? That's not the no. Well, look, he... Just wanted to know how the nose was working. Oh, I knew it, man. He just can't leave it alone. What'd you say? Oh, I told him the nose plays. And the nose does play. The nose plays. It's great. It's huge. Great stuff. Thanks. Turk? Hey, are you going to get the factory open? Oh, hell yes! We just got to break management! This, uh, this is the culmination of our, uh, our Mexican storyline here. And of course, the Mexican light motif. Exactly. It was so cold this day. Do you remember? Was it cold? Yeah, it was really cold. I don't don't remember. I just remember how windy it was. It was incredibly windy. Um, Here's a scene that I toyed with trying to play out in one shot, but, but. Um, went with the other side of the phone call just to make everything clear. But it was designed as one shot, and then I chopped it up. We've had another incident with Manny and Ms. Kelso. It was the leg this time. You need somebody to come down and pick him up? My wife can't... T- sorry, sir, your wife we haven't been able to get a hold of. We've left messages. Yo, 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 buddy, 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 buddy. Do me a favor. Cover my post. This is a corridor, actually, uh, down in Anaheim. The convention center, right? Yeah, that we went to get because we needed something gigantic, and it is gigantic. We were lucky to get this location. That was another one of those things. You you had this idea that you wanted to have um, Scott and Casey just running. Yes, right. And that'll that'll come up uh, later in the movie. But here's one of the, you know, one of the other tricks when you're working on movies like this is coming up with reversals and obstacles and moments where you think I mean the trick is especially when you're into the third movie it's really hard to convince people that it's, it's not, not going to work, work out. yeah um, so here we're setting up you know we're sort of setting up another a problem um, there was a moment where you thought of, we, we all talked about maybe killing off one of the characters I wanted well I wanted to open the film well, I know we talked about opening the film by killing off one of the one of know, the main characters, one of the one of the three guys, and I don't uh, think people would have seen that. You coming. mean Shibo, Bernie? What are you dissing? Are you dissing Shibo? No, he said, I, "No, no, I'm not." Don't go there. You sh- no. You said one of the three main guys. I just wanted well, to be clear. I think it, I think it's I can say under oath that with these th- with these movies, if we don't if we don't get everybody back, then we don't make the movie. I mean, that was always the understanding. Yes. And it's it's hard. Look, we we made three of these in six years with the cast coming back every time, which I think is hard to do. And these guys are busy. Uh, they're very busy. You don't run the same gag twice. You do the next gag. That line came from Don Cheadle. We that's our our line. We wrote that for Don. That you don't do the same gag twice. You do the next gag because Don was so 
uh, aware of the idea. This is the third movie. Yes. He wanted to not have Basher be the same. And so after talking to him, we gave him that line. Which he, when he read it, he was like, oh, someone, you're listening. Though he didn't say it in a British accent. He just accent. said no, he Don Cheadle yeah, sort of a voice. Like you guys are listening to me. Now, here's an example of what I was talking about. There are, there are, there are no close-ups in this scene and no singles. All the shots are overs. Um, when th- Again, this is the way when we started rehearsing the scene. This is the way people sort of fell in mm-hmm. to where they were. I said, go where you want to go. Where are you going to sit? Where are you going to land? And this is where they landed. This is also a scene that we completely rewrote um, one week into shooting the movie. Because the scenes with Matt and Alan were such that it needed to be Matt deciding, I'm going to do this. Instead of it as being opposed planned. To it being, as opposed to them putting it on Matt. That's right. It had to be Linus. In the first version of the script, they tell Linus, you've got to do this. And he's scared. Right? But instead, we, we all, watching the way Matt played the confident. scenes, I remember coming to you and going, what do you, and the three of us, and then we went to Matt, and we went away and, and overnight rewrote this scene. To make it that he's the one saying, I mean, yeah. This is what I was thinking of when we were talking about how you cut, key, you know, Dave was pointing out, you, you're caught up to camera. It's a great example. Right, because we'd seen the scene with him and Ellen, the daytime scene. It was one of the first things we shot. Yes. Which is not in the movie, but is in the extras. Um, but this is how we roll scene. Exactly. And we felt he was so confident that it would be funny if he came back and told them, I know I can do this. Yes. And then the tension is, will he be able to pull it off? Uh, but anyway, so there's a that's a five shot. That's an over over the elbow five shot, which I think again in these movies that's the appropriate shot. You know, to go in for coverage would be not in the spirit of the movie. At least that's my attitude. We shot all this Mexico stuff in one day. Everything, everything except the uh, cantina. The cantina was shot The separately. cantina, yeah. That was a long day. You mean the inside of the factory? Yeah, we shot that. That, that was, was a, a different, different day. day. Yeah. But we got a lot of exterior stuff to shoot. Yeah. And we're coming up on an interesting shot here of some thing uh, being extruded. That was the shot that you guys told me I had to have, right? This one right here. Yeah, you told me. I remember Levine particularly saying, don't you have to have... A shot of something like that? Yes. Really? Yeah, you did. You, you said, how do we know it's dice if you don't have that shot? Right. Well, that was and one I of those kept things. telling you, you were, I kept telling you, we don't need it, we don't need it, we don't need it. And then, like, one day it's in the movie. You go, oh. I guess we did need it. What's the lesson? Who has the power in Hollywood? Um, I don't know. When the test audience asked for a shot of extrusion. No, they didn't ask. No, you, they didn't. You asked. Of course. Also, this, it was Stephen Marioni's ideas, idea to make the subtitles so huge, <laughs> which I don't know why I find that that's amusing. Great. Yeah, but I didn't think of it. But now that you say no, it, that's he funny. the first day I saw it, I said, I said they're gigantic and they're like in the middle of the screen. He goes, Yeah. <laughs> I said, Okay, that's fine. It's like that that Saturday Night Live skit with Garrett Morris, the news for the hearing impaired. Right. Exactly. So here we go. We've made, again, there was an adjustment made here. This used to be a scene where Eddie Izzard's character, Roman Nagel, comes and shows him how to fix one of the shuffle machines with the implication that even though I can do this sort of easily, there's no way you'll be able to do it on the day because you're not as skilled. We ended up wanting to go with something a little more 
I don't know, mysterious or worrisome, which is that he still doesn't know right. at all how he's going to solve this. Let me tell you, it's th- that shot of the Bellagio reminds me of, for us, since we've been there three times now, it's, it gets harder and harder to think of a way to shoot an exterior of the Bellagio that you haven't already tried. Right. I remember walking around with a viewfinder for 25 minutes up and down the front of the Bellagio there trying you to find a felt shot. felt like you were making a commercial for Vegas until you finally found something that you hadn't seen a million times. Is George the only guy in the world who could pull that eye roll off? The eye roll? That's unbelievable. (laughs) It's such a, it's so great because he does, it's such a teenage girl eye roll and he really nails it. And then he asked me when we were doing it, he said, do you really want me to sell Andy down the river like that? Because Andy's standing right here. And I said, look, Andy, the line, Andy came up with the line, I was born ready, then you gotta do it. Yeah. You can't have one and not the other. Andy knew what was going on. Oh, yeah, he knew it completely. He busted up no, he, he said cut. Yeah. yeah, Andy's like, okay, okay. Get beyond born cars and tired dice. It's electrifying. It's exciting. It's enough said. Now, for instance, this is a scene. This is a scene where I decide to go handheld. I'm using one lens. I'm using two cameras, but both on the same lens, the 100. Um... I guess because in theory, I, I want a feeling that, that is more loose in which you feel you're not sure what's going to happen as opposed to something that's very designed and mm-hmm. composed. Um, not, not, I have to say, not, a, not something that I, that in this case, I agonized over a lot. I just immediately showed up, was looking at the scene and thought, let's go hand hell with this. Like, let's, let's, let's have it be... You know, be kind of breezy with it. A multiple five on the first spin. He or she is a winner. Payout, five to one. But guess what? They're already laying 11 to one. So when they win, Mr. Bank, we win. Enough said. (laughs) (laughs) That is good. And and this scene could have come together. There were lots of different versions of this. And then Stephen Marioni, in particular, did an amazing job, don't you think? Yeah, there were three different cuts of this scene, very all very different, and he, I think, found, you know, he got it the way we had to have it, I think, with what I provided him anyway. And in that one, Ellen had blue glasses, which was odd. <laughs> what, is Ellen in this? And I embrace the fact that Nuff said might grow a whole new segment in my hotels. Hello! And I'd like to lock this up right now. Exclusive rights. I want to place this beautiful domino table at our Tunica location. Mississippi? That's where games go to die, isn't it? Stay out of this bank. You've already passed. Really? And do for him what I'm prepared to. Prime placement, center room, Vegas, tonight. Um, again, there's the beautiful Bank Hotel. If any of you are going to Vegas, you should actually, you should absolutely go stay there. Ask for the Ocean Suite. Yeah. Friendly slots. Exactly. Now, again, here's a here's a a type of scene in which I would very much not want to go in and do coverage on. That I would want to sort of play out 
Because it makes too much of it if you're shooting coverage. Yeah, it's sort of an expositional scene. I'm also trying to, in addition to to lay out the dialogue, I'm trying to give a feel. I'm always trying to give a feel of the hotel and the people there and the scale What's amazing is that we shot that at night, and then you tented the whole thing and blew the light in. And it was raining. And it really looks like daytime. Well, it's sort of sometimes, like on Solaris. Yeah. All that... When you're shooting in space, but you want it to look like there's gravity. Yeah, what did you do? Yeah, so what do you do? Well, it's this, this stuff you put on the soles of the shoes. Right, it was the same thing. Because I remember that day coming, it was like 2 in the morning when we started. And I was thinking, the scene set at day, but then the, you had all those lights set up that blasted through. It was worth it. And yeah, it looks like day. Here's another, here's another story point that we, we sort of layered in. Um, we had that earlier scene where Livingston is working with the shuffle player, and they're watching Bank on the ho- uh, on the screen, the the surveillance camera, and he's talking about the Samsung phone. This was a sort. This was an idea that we came up with later. This Trojan horse, this idea of Bank being the Trojan horse um, for the Greco room uh, to bring the magnetron in. Exactly. My dear Mr. B, this is a thank you for all... This was your guy's idea, which is hilarious, to yeah, cut her off in the middle of this. I remember, it just seemed like something Al's character would do. Oh, totally. But I, I remember reading it and laughing out loud. I thought it was so awful. Did that happen? Has that happened to you? when you? When, do you know that somebody's read a card of yours and ripped it up? Just, just this only like happened it. with our scripts. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> happened with our screenplays. This was a George idea, which I thought was really good. Um, when, I, when we were sort of making... You know, lists of, of things to, to add or to tweak. George said, I think you should have a moment where Elliot, you know, he's feeling a little better and he goes in and he looks at one of his old shirts. And I thought that was a really nice, just a nice little character moment. He's good at that. Oh my God, we're already to the grand opening. I feel like we just started. Um, this was a sequence. How did you uh, decide to do all the split screen stuff? Um, Was that you and I had, the, I had the, well. The, it was a, a lost weekend at the Mondrian, let's be honest. No. What happened was, this was a, this was a sequence that it was, when played out in full frame, I thought was not moving along as quickly as it ought to. Again, very expositional. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was at home one night and the Thomas Crown Affair came on. There you go. Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway, the original. which has some... It definitely communicates that all this stuff is happening at the same time in different places as opposed to you know, showing well, it one the, shot. The good a, thing, you know, after part, the of the, part of the pleasure in making the Oceans films is, is you literally, you get, you get to play. You get to like, use you can't, all the you toys. You can't do this in a real movie. And so I saw Thomas Crown Affair and I, and I went into Marioni. I said, go, go get a DVD of this now. Watch these sequences uh, because I want to do something um, for the night of the opening. And this is the beauty of, of the avid. 36 hours later, he showed me this sequence, uh, pretty much as it is. Wow. Um, he whipped it together really quickly. Well, how long would that have taken if you were... Oh, to film? plot this on an optical printer? We'd yeah. still be doing it. Months and months. Yeah, oh yeah. Literally months. Months. Um, and, you know, the net result being this 
sequence is exactly half as long as the original sequence. And so uh, I would think the audience, whether they find this annoying or not, should at least be happy that it's half as long. <laughs> Don McManus again. There's Don getting the loaded roulette balls. There's they're, the running there's shot the running in the corridor. Shot. And then they're miking the dice. That's something else we learned on our trip. They measure them with that's a micrometer. That's miking the dice. You mic yes. Those, the That's dice. a real machine. That's not a joke. We didn't make that machine. They, they really exist. So again, here's, we've got Alan George. I don't want to get into an over-the-shoulder situation. We have a big location with a lot of extras and, and activity going on that, that I feel, if you have all these elements and you're not using them in the frame and making it seem like George and Al are really there and this is really, then, you know, what are you doing? Like, make it, take advantage of all of the things that you have. So, you know, this, we shot a few takes of this. Because uh, they have, you know, a few lines of dialogue. Did, did this approach evolve for you? Because I've heard you talk before about at, at one point being more of a formalist, and that like, ha, do you do you do you where do you think? Which you're I going used on as that? a pejorative. I felt yes. that was not a good thing. Yeah, right. I'm saying yes. Where, uh, but where do you see that sort of tracking out as you're thinking about your next films? Do you see yourself continuing off? I think the best of all possible worlds is to be able to. Is again, you, you prepare, but to be able to call on, to have all this RAM available, all this, you know, all of your ideas sort of online as you're watching the scene sort of take shape in front of you for the first time and, and being able to determine in the moment what's the best way to accomplish this given the general aesthetic that I've established for the movie. And usually... For me, it's less about what you're allowed to do, but but more about what you shouldn't do, what kind of shots you're not allowed to do, what kind of equipment you're not allowed to use. Giving yourself very specific parameters, like being disciplined about, this is how we're doing this. So, Like Jack White deciding, no bass on this album. Exactly. Yeah, no, yeah, really. No, same, and yes. Yeah. No, I'm saying because then you give yourself... I just it's assume like these, everything you say is a joke. Right. So, yeah, as was our... That was, by the way, a rule that the three of us made. Yes. From the moment we started, we tried to remind each other. It's all. It's all. Everything is a joke. Everything's a joke all the time. And there's no line. And why? Why? Dying, David and I. I have Stephen. We are dying to make a movie with Casey and Scott. Everybody should make a movie with Casey. We want to write one for like these guys together. They've got one of the great ad libs of all time. They've got one of the great ad libs. That oh, I've like been around, yeah, that's coming later, that was totally because Casey and Scott have a, they're the... That was the Gilroy. Do you want to say anything? That's the Gilroy. No, we're not going to explain that. We're not. That's the one we're not going to explain. I mean, we explain it in the glossary in a general term, which is a Gilroy is something that, that causes an overwhelming sexual response. But we're not going to tell you why it's called that. I want to apologize for the bad lighting in these two shots of Matt and Ellen. It's, it's terrible lighting, and it's my fault. Fire the DP. I should have, uh, no, I should have done a bounce board on the floor mm. uh, from below, and I didn't. But, but um, how, I mean, there are not many actresses that could have pulled off this sequence. This, like this combination Ellen. of repulsion and attraction I thought was just she, inspired. She's totally riotous. Come on, you've sequence. seen that face <laughs> shined in your direction plenty of times. Not, not... Only not by a human. Um, here's another scene again that I felt would play best in a single 
shot that that it's about you know it's about the cadence of what they're saying to each other i told matt when we were when we were blocking it i said don't you stay your whole thing is you want to be as close to her as you can at all times no matter where she goes and i told ellie you can go wherever you want i'll you guys play the scene out and then i'll figure out how to shoot it but i was very conscious of wanting to to play it all in one knowing that we had a really nice little button for the end, this physical gag that Matt came up with in a rehearsal that was, I thought, great. Between the cashier's cage and the high-stakes pie-gal room. Stephen, how many true movie stars would really be willing, excited, to play 30% of a movie? With the nose? With a proboscis like that. Is that how it's pronounced? Proboscis? I thought it was proboscis. Yeah. Proboscis. Proboscis like that. Otherwise known as a nose. Well, you would know. But how many Amongst English speakers? I, I know. I wear it 100 percent of the time. But it doesn't how, bother me. How many actors would really <laughs> step in? Oh, he was so excited he couldn't see straight. It's just most guys uh, that I know would talk the game, and they wouldn't really be willing to look this ridiculous for this, and this much is of the great movie. Physical Matt's a great physical comedian. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's fantastic. Uh, anyway, um, no, but that's Matt's also. Linus, you know, for the most part, I mean, in this film, he finally sort of becomes one of the guys by the end of it. But two, for two of the movies, he's basically a schlub and who, who's humiliated a lot. Right. And Matt embraces that fully. There are a lot of people, I think, that would go, do I have to look so dorky all the time? And Matt's, Matt's you know, bring it on. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like the uh, the scene in 12 on the plane when he goes and asks Rusty oh, to, God, to that's get a bigger role. I mean, that is just so entertaining to watch. And Matt just so goes for it. Oh, when he gives him the thumbs up when yep. he's heading back to the seat. No, yeah. Matt's great. But it's way. great that he finally evolves into sort of their equal by the end. The comedy stylings of Casey and Scott. Um, Danny Shields one more time. Danny Shields. One of the great things about how Phil... Messina designed this set and consulted with Jim Planet, my gaffer, and I about about how to light it in the sense that we obviously wanted it. We wanted to be able to walk in and shoot anywhere in any direction without having to ever light anything. You know, which that's fine, but you've got to then you've got to be in a situation again where you're you know you're going to see the sources. They better look interesting. And mm-hmm. Phil and his wife, who's the set decorator. Uh, Kristen, it was a combination of lights that they found from all over the world that they brought in and these hanging tube lights they built. They have movie lights inside of them. They're made out of this spun plastic or something. They're spectacular. Coincidentally, my my uncle has been in the light business, selling lights. He's a light salesman for 50 years. And one day he calls me. Those he he sells. Oh, the ones that are that are over yeah. the. Uh, and uh, he said, uh, "We're finally working together." Oh, that's hilarious. I said, "What? What do you mean, Uncle Ed?" And he said, "The lights in the casino. They're my lights." When did he see him? He has a copy he, of the no, movie. But they he all knew know. from selling them to the production. He knew from selling them. Sure. Yeah, yeah. They oh, wow. he knew from the company. Well, it's we pretty a big news in yeah. the lighting game. <laughs> yeah, this is a competitive account. <laughs> So what, Ocean's 13 is on the radar of the people in the lighting business. Oh, yeah, the fixture, good. in the fixture trade. That's fantastic. We need them. Again, here's a scene that, that I'm going handheld, two cameras, 
just because in, in watching the blocking, I felt it, it, it was two things. I sh- you'll notice in the movie, everything that involves the FBI agent is handheld. Because what was the choice there? Uh, he's supposed to be a cop. So in theory, I wanted to have a little, you know, just a little motion in the frame, a little, just not, not so clean. Not so steady. Yeah. In the hopes that it would feel a little more, uh, quote unquote, real mm-hmm. because he's a cop, which we're going to, we're going to see why we want to make people think that. They'll scoop us all up and bank will have the best night of his life. When, I can't remember when we decided, when the Fender Rhodes thing sort of solidified. When did that? When we did, had lots of different thoughts. Then one day Dave It came had up to be a, somewhat early on because so much supports it coming down. Well, I know we had an idea once that I'm so... The only reason we couldn't pull it off is because then uh, Basher wouldn't be there for the end with everybody watching the fireworks. Right. I wanted some... Oh, no, he couldn't be in the helicopter later on the helipad. Because right. I wanted something to happen where he ended up... He had to make the jump. <laughs> right, right. Basher for the guy. Yeah, make that the jump. he couldn't get out of it in time right. and actually had to go through with this elaborate jump. But we couldn't make that work. So here's how we ended up playing off the Nagel thing, which is... We realize... Stephen, you came up with Fender Rhodes, right? Yes. And then, Dave, you came up with Reckless. Fender Reckless Rhodes. I just shared the credit with everybody. Excellent. So there we paid off the Nagel thing. It was a, it was a misdirect. For those of you still awake. <laughs> and, uh, you know, George looks good in a tux. Have you noticed that? He was George there to you. That was George to me. I don't know why. Whereas right now, that's... Yeah, that's Elliot. But that's Rusty behind him, not Brad. Exactly. For real. Isn't, I know. That's Isn't Rusty that weird? behind him, yep. What? Somebody should figure this out. A study needs to be. Oh, is Elliot great? What a doll to work with. To be around Elliot and Carl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man. True highlight. This was, um, this came out of, no, I remember the... No, this this couldn't have been too early because remember we <laughs> talked about we talked about are you making fun of my stutter? I was doing ba- uh, no, I was doing what, Fender gonna... Reckless Roads. Did, did, did this this? Oh, that yeah. This? Don came up with that yes. Um, because the 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 fingerprint thing was that we felt we needed another layer of complication, feeling we, like they were going to get caught. Yeah, and I remember that was that was originally he was going to take the fingerprint off a business card, right? Yeah, that was always in the script, but then we changed. Oh, that's how right. He, he got saw the source of right, it. Was changed. to see Rusty on the floor. That's right. It's all coming back to me now. Thank God you were there. How many movies have you made since? None. Oh. By the time anybody's listening to this, I will have made two. Right. But actually, I, by the time anybody's listening to this, I could have made ten in theory. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it. Yes. Um, but I feel we're performing a very important private service for aspiring what? Either very bored people. Commentary track narrators, maybe. A cautionary tale. What, um, I love that Carl just taps. Taps Al on the... You just called him Carl there. Why? He's because you know what? That's he's always Carl to you, Carl Reiner. For for goodness sake, okay. that's Carl Reiner. Because um, to any uh, you know, to anyone in the in the comedy business, 
He's Carl. He's Carl Reiner. He's Mr. Carl Reiner. He is. The Dean. This is another fun set that Phil built. This chandelier, this is a real chandelier that's in the middle of this that we rented that I, I can't even imagine what that costs or even where it lives. Yeah, I mean, it's if we think us. that my uncle, the light salesman's happy about this movie, how about the guy who sold that thing into the, into the show? Movie. Yeah. Yeah. We also, those, um, the necklaces that Bank buys for his wife, in theory, we had made up by Tiffany. They're glass, but they were not cheap to make. Let's put it that way. Because a lot of people were asking, like, hey, can I have that when we're done? No. <laughs> no. There was a better chance of you being able to take one, take one of the actors home than those. Um, these, again, I love, com- you know, this is a total Blake Edwards gag here. This sort of two people rising in the frame at once. I'm a sucker for that. I would love to make a, like a Jacques Tati movie, a whole movie made that doesn't have a lot of dialogue in it, that's just made up of physical... Those things are hard to... There's a reason nobody makes movies like that anymore where there are elaborate sort of physical gags. Right. They're really hard to think of. What would I'm, be a Jacques Taiti movie to watch for the people out there? In the, um, either Monocle or Mr. Hulot's Holiday. Send that to Banks' office. Check out Mr. Hulot's Holiday. There's a scene in there where Jacques Tati gets his foot caught in a fox, a rug that's made out of a fox. In the mouth? Yeah. That is, <laughs> it's, it, it, you'll pass out it, it, laughing. It's so funny. Didn't Carl have a story about where he got this wig, by the way? He said he's had it. It was like 50 years old. Yeah, but I don't understand. Did it turn gray? <laughs> he said, I've had this thing forever. And I thought, don't you want to make it a age movie? with you? I don't understand. Do awesome. You know, like, want her to actually. Now this, these women are ad-libbing this stuff, and we loved it. Yes, we just turned them loose and told them to start talking and that we would interrupt them with a phone call, and that was a, that was a live conversation, as is this one. Dave and I say in our office, I would say once, twice a week, something about wanting somebody to do awesome. To do awesome, yep. That makes sense. It's a very positive thought. Absolutely. Steven, when you go do Che, we hope you do I've awesome. already done it. Do awesome. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I've already done it. I think uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure how I feel about it right now. This is a time release thing. We, what kind of future predictions can we make? Because this will be when will this be? In this will be hands? out at the end of the year. The movie will have come out five or six months prior. So as as people are listening to our voices now, the future has already happened. It's fair. I, I don't. I'm it's wondering. Like primer. Yeah, it is. Romney Don, okay. Obama. Don playing yes. Fender Rhodes. President was, Obama? Well, no, it's not that far oh, away. I said Romney v. Obama. Oh, okay. That's what it's going to come down to. Uh, I, I didn't know how this was going to work until literally Don showed up. I didn't see the whole thing until he showed up that day. I wasn't sure how this was going to work. I, I'm so glad we got that Chuck Berry thing in because I'd been carrying that around. Really? That, that idea... <laughs> That Chuck Berry would used to play, demand, used to say one, two, that he had this great thing. Money. It's in his books and everything where he would pay the band, he would pay, get paid $10,000 to perform, but they would always have to give him $11,000 in cash. And if the band was good, he'd give back 1000 But it was always in cash. And you had to pay Chuck Berry in cash before he would walk on your stage. And Dave and I always thought, that's a great thing if you get some. And then here's a moment where you could. Oh, we got lucky. The, the 
My favorite gag, which you don't see until the close-up, is the the American flag on the two front teeth. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty good stuff. This, this is one of those gags you like, though, where it, the thing's happening right behind the guy. Yes. And you got to keep his attention off it. Well, John and I certainly felt that this this version of Fender Rhodes could be a movie all on itself. That Don felt he, that Fender absolutely had a substance abuse problem uh, that was rampant, and that uh, there's this is our ad lib. When somebody makes three quick guesses in a row that are all wrong, that's good comedy. Fantastic. And that that whole exchange was an ad lib by Scott and Casey. Am I allowed to say uh, that? Well, no, because the uh, the, are you in yet, I hate that question, scripted. Absolutely. Which also gets a good laugh. And then this thing. Or at least did the one time I watched the movie with an audience. You going to jump? Jump it, baby. No, uh, we planned on Casey and, and Scott ad-libbing. When we would sit there, we would think they're going to come up with something better than we're going to come up with 90% of the time. They're so funny together. They are funny together. I think um, I think they do want to do something together. When we were shooting on this film, they, they were talking about wanting to, like, wanting to do a movie where it was just the two of them. Mm-hmm. If Casey would just give up on the whole movie star thing, they could go make a TV series for 10 years they could be on the air do you want to have that conversation with him I did oh what did he say he asked me to leave the trailer oh that's uh, I didn't know that he never mentioned that Hmm. did he say if he was happy on this movie or not (laughs) just curious it was you know I have to say sitting around especially near the end see everybody in the room and you think Never going to see these people together again. This is it. What about 14? Not with me. You got, hey, you guys, this is your shot. Only with you. No. Three and out. It was, remember, I told you it was always a trilogy. I told you that. The whole plan was, and I told you, you, I always wanted to go back to Vegas. You can't go back to Vegas on the second one. That was the whole, this was not an accident. You had to leave the country and then come back. David, what did we see this woman in? Uh, Just recently, you mean? Yeah, we thought she was terrific. The Progressive Slots winner? Yeah. She Mm -hmm. was fantastic. Yeah, but she's in another movie, Stephen. We were watching something, and David goes, that's the woman who won the prize. What are you talking about? And we looked it up, and it was her. Wow. She's doing some quality work out there. Let me tell you. What was it, Dave? You looked it up. I I just can't remember. Well, we'll have to. This was not a one-time thing for her, though. This is hard to do, to act overwhelmingly excited and happy. It's hard to do. I, I certainly, I can't do it in life. <laughs> Did you bring this to the audition? Is that why you cast her? Um, I don't know. I don't know that we actually had her. I can't remember if we had her read the scene. Often for parts like that. If there's just a couple of lines, mm-hmm. I'll just ask the casting director to talk to them for five or ten minutes so I can get a sense of what their personality is and who they are. Because, you know, you just want to get a sense of them in case you – because you feel like, oh, we might end up doing something differently and I want somebody who feels right mm-hmm. to me. I'm not so concerned. Can they say that? Right. Can right. they say, oh, my God, I'm a winner? Mm-hmm. But she just she had, a, right she just had a great vibe. Right. Yeah, so – 
here we go. We're setting up the drill. It's getting close. The uh, I was happy that apparently to find out near the end of the shoot when they're talking about getting the second drill and how much it costs, um, somebody said that there was uh, they read that that one of those kinds of drills mm -hmm. was actually up for sale and that it cost thirty million dollars. So we were close. We were close. I was concerned we were overstating it. Inflating but, uh, it a lot, yeah. Apparently, if you want to drill like the one that dug the channel, you got to pony up. From either the English or the, or French, the side? French side? By the way, the story of how that uh, the channel was built is there's a great nonfiction book. It's really fascinating. But I won't, I won't go into it. Um, Snore. <laughs> yawn. Um, Some Willie Bankisms. Exactly. We, yeah, we wanted to. Pa we originally we were going to pepper the. We had snore. Yeah. Snore and yawn. He gets yawn, yawn yeah, in there. Yeah, he yawn, yawn. Yeah, snore is pretty good. We'll use no, that you almost, something else. You almost veered into a little Pacino. I did not. You were circling. Yeah, a little yawn, yawn with a little of that that growly edge to it. You were circling. Um, one of the things that I do because I really want to put people in the moment is um, for the earthquake stuff you know we had uh, Paul Lefford our production mixer bring out these gigantic subwoofers now is this your first picture with Paul? <laughs> uh, it's the first funny one uh, no Paul I've known since I was 13 or 14 um, and it really did I have to say I mean you were there it helps when that room sh sounded like it was coming apart, it was, it was great. Actually, really loud. yes, it was excellent. I made because uh, it's hard to get to extra, get people or to get six hundred people to pretend, yeah, to, and and background artists, right? To get background artists because otherwise, sometimes they uh, they can exaggerate, and as they're running out, it actually just looks like help. I'm being chased by giant ants, right, or something. But this, it seemed like that sound was. Yeah, it made you think. It was good. If this place was coming down, that would be bad. This guy's a great Absolutely. outside shot in basketball. Tommy Hinckley? Yes. Is he? Okay, I've never played him in basketball. Um, again, so this would... The the new Greco room is something that we did uh, with additional shooting. So this whole sequence plays out much differently than it did originally. This Why did you decide to go handheld in here? To contract... Because I knew I was going to be intercutting it with stuff on the floor that I'd shot. Right. You know, off either a, a, a head or a dolly. or mm -hmm. So I wanted there to be, you know, as contrast. much of a contrast as possible between the two. And it starts to feel like things are coming apart in there. Uh, yeah, that probably doesn't hurt. The, those inserts, the little mounted uh, shots... Of the roulette wheel, we shot with this thing called an Iconics. It's a lens about the size of a lipstick, um, and it makes it really. Those are shots that, with a film camera, I, you know, would have taken all day, and we whipped off, you know, eight or nine of those in twenty minutes. Hmm. I could just literally lay it right on the roulette wheel and tape it down and go. Um, I'm planning on using that in the future again. Snake eyes. All of them. Oh, that's a bitch. We can't take any more bets till we're back up. The system's in lockdown. All calls in and out of this room are secure. Unfortunately, it's the system that secures them. 
against uh, And now finally we get to the thing we've been working so hard to get to, which is the winning montage. 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 That's a French word for montage. Um, <laughs> and those, you know, I always find those kind of scenes tricky because the key obviously is um, never to repeat a shot. Um, and also I was wondering, I, I think when you have a sequence here where, where people are winning, you always think, oh, do you want to make a movie where people are just so excited about cash that, you know, that's presented as, as the, uh, as the, the ultimate in happiness. But you almost threw knee blue ultra back at me. Didn't I, you? I couldn't, <laughs> you thought about I, it. I, I, I don't even, I, I, I only know what it means through the context that you're yeah. using it. But, um, I guess our feeling was, well, they're beating Willie Bank. Like, the guys aren't making this money. People are making the money because they're beating Willie Bank, who's a jerk. Um, Steven, you said something really interesting, which is... Oh. <laughs> yeah, you did. That um, the key is not repeating shots in this sort of a montage, but what you really said a few times on set, actually, is... I mean, that's your... Isn't that sort of your approach to scenes in general? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's... you. I think that might be worth talking about. Have you talked about that on commentaries before? Uh, no, not a lot. I mean, the the right, well, even when you're covering I mean, even a scene, within coverage. Yeah, I I my my goal. If there's a way to never repeat a shot that isn't annoying, like for instance, the scene we were talking about in the hotel room with Benedict, where he's where they're where uh, Matt says, "I'm gonna, I can convince, I can seduce Bonder." That scene. Mm -hmm. Now I'm obviously repeating angles in there. Because if I didn't, the scene goes on for so long, the, the angles that I would have to come up with to, to keep staying new would get increasingly but, absurd. But for, but for you, like the platonic ideal of a scene is that you is never repeat a, a shot. scene that doesn't repeat, that Unless, starts with a certain, that, that somehow builds in a way that seems inevitable and never repeats. Yes. Unless, unless you've got a scene that, that, that I would call a strict interrogation, in which case, the power of repeating a shot. In the quicker cuts. Mm -hmm. No, perhaps. no, I'm just talking about you and I are having a scene together and it's a confrontation or, or an interrogation or, or something, or a seduction. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Obviously, you'll be using a stunt double. For I, I guess. In which repeating the shots becomes important. It. You know what I mean? There's a tension that comes from actually... Right, being very obvious about the fact that you repeat, you keep going back to these same two shots. But that's the exception for you. Yes. That's to heighten a heighten a particularly dramatic yes. moment. But in a scene like this, especially, you know, th in my book, if you're repeating shots, you're not doing your homework. Like every shot should be new. Right. And that's interesting. That's you know, your I think job. That's an interesting point to people who are because I think a lot of people listening to these are people who want to be Steven Soderbergh's. <laughs> Oh, God, that's so awful. <laughs> so awful. Yes. That was, I'm glad we, you know, that Andy laughing, which we put in the movie very late, was a sort of, it was a little piece of film from when we shot that scene and I just had him go through various reactions right. on the monitor. It didn't used to exist there. Hmm. It existed somewhere else and we stuck it there. Well, you know, if you could get an Andy Garcia laughing, you want it. Absolutely. I don't, I, that sounds like a truism, but it, it also sounds like he just made it up. It's so dark in here, I can't see anything. 
It's weird that you can do this from 3,000 miles away. I know. I know. And separately. Well, I'm saying, for Dave to be down on the panhandle. Gotta, with Dave, gotta, Dave is in the panhandle. Stevens in the mountains of Colorado. I'm not. No, I'm in Bolivia. They told me you were in the mountains. No, I'm in Bolivia. I'm just saying you got to hand it to the people at Warner's that they cut this together and it sounds like we're in the same room. That's pretty amazing. That was a shot I redid. Didn't like it the first time. Couldn't get the camera back far enough. It's all over now. Oh, here we go. We can get back to this. This is, this is um, one of those ideas. It was, well, remember, remember in the first... Your idea was to have Matt surprised with his pants down in a compromising situation. Yes, which is very old school. Old school comedy. But Though originally you wanted it to be a, the, the assistant guy, to be a male. The, yeah, the guy that worked for a bank was going to be... You know, a sort of forty-year-old, very, you know, uh, you get the you, you got the 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 impression didn't have much of a personal life, and and took a liking to Matt. But then, you know, but I owed Ellen because she was in Ocean's Twelve and she got cut, so I owed her. Oh my God! And that's not all. I think we should sell those. Uh, oh, I really love the nose coming off. Um, there were three noses, by the way. There were? You know this. This isn't... You know it from the makeup. I the makeup it. people... There were three of them? Had three different... Different builds. There was the nose that was supposed to be dripped off. The breakaway there was the, nose. The, the nose breakaway that, nose for the scene that the got nose cut. Where it, the bendable nose for the kiss. Right. And, and then, then... The wearable nose. The wearable nose. Right. I wonder where they are now. The Smithsonian, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> by now. The Kremlin. <laughs> Uh, again, all handheld here because I wanted to keep the whole kind of cop idea. I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense. Um, I think we should sell those vests with the fake diamonds. and That's just kind of a neat thing. That's great, Stephen. That's such a funny shot. And we haven't talked about Bob Einstein, who I find everything he says funny. He is one of the most amusing people. If you ever, ever meet. Wa- see him on the street... Just walk up to him, point to your throat, and ask him to tell you the hee-hee joke. Oh, yeah, that's a good joke. I, I thought you were going to say just point to your throat and say hee-hee. Yeah, or just point to your throat and go hee-hee. The hee-hee joke, is, uh, it's pretty out there. He told it out on this platform here and just busted everybody He's the up best guy it. to have in an all-night shoot. Yes. He will tell you jokes. Yes. And Endless- have you falling on the floor. Endlessly amusing. All night long. Very helpful to me. Now this is movie magic. This 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 helipad. Um, First of all, this whole thing is really only two feet in diameter. Wait, Matt. The miniatures. Or the pad. The miniatures. The pad. Thing. Oh, all the mini- yeah. The way you were able to do the miniatures. It's right. like it picked up where the Star Wars thing left. I off. I guess you had Trey Parker and Matt Stone come over to show you how to how do to pull off a sequence like this. something that small and miniature like that. No, but this is a this is a helipad in Burbank, and so all there's a lot of visual effects work here that uh, this company CIS that I've been working with for a long, long time. Uh, really, I think you're really in different. for a free mug after that. Well, I'm just there. saying. I'm just saying. I go to them. Are you I'm, in, put I'm, a sting in the, I'm in the cockpit <laughs> are you here. Put a sting. No, I'm just saying these shots are not. I'm in the cockpit here, and I'm saying oh, I want to shoot this handheld, and you know, you guys put the city in. I, that's somebody's got to work very hard to make that look. Yeah, and this proper. wasn't really a small little area. Let me just say it was giant. It was. It was pretty big. It was pretty big. Vincent Cassell did us a big solid by 
coming in and doing the tour bit because I really Wait, wanted. I to get hacked for saying something, and but you can say Vincent. That's his name. Okay. Vincent. Montage. Okay. Do you call somebody whose uh, whose name is Jorge? Uh, whose name is, you know? Uh, so, uh, sorry. Come again. Whose name is Jorge? J O R G E. Do you call him George? Do you call him Jorge? Do you call him Jorge? I call him Jorge. It's a little. It's a little about. Um, here's Matt doing a little born, born stuff. A little here, prep for the born yeah, movies. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this is one of those one shot deals that you like the difficulty. I do like the yeah. That was a three sixty with a with a zoom out and a zoom in. Um, doing all four clips. Yeah, but that's that's better than that to me is better than four shots of four clips. Right. We wrote this dialogue in this scene, Stephen, with you sitting on our couch one day. Really, that was me. You were sitting on our couch. And we were, Dave and Probably I, going back and forth. dining on a BLT. I would bet you were eating a BLT. Is it okay to tell, uh, reveal that you eat meat? I'm still yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure. Um, I... Because I, I lost that rule of what I was allowed to say and what I wasn't when you wrote those... The memo? The memo. I don't have it stop, with me. First of all, stop looking at me. Um... Yeah, I remember this. It's funny. I have such a different a different image of when you wrote it. Was it in a, this location? I just remember, you know, when we were doing the first draft, I can't remember where that scene took place. Yeah, it was different. It was out behind. The very first draft of it was like um, that hotel that night that we had the dinner, the first night we were in Vegas. Right. We all thought it was going to take place near that giant screen. The that's very first right, draft, that's right. it was yeah. by that giant screen. So I guess that's why... I look at it now, and all I think of is is how we shot it. Yeah. Um, again, this is a situation where I had two cameras going, a wide uh, and a tight, mostly because it was, I don't know, it was it was a an important performance thing. I didn't want to have to make them do more takes than I needed to do. And again, you can see here, I'm using very oblique angles because I just don't want to do a standard over-the-shoulder. Now there's one, there's one plot thing that I don't know was tr- clear to people, which was when Frank says there's 18 inches of concrete, there's no way we can drill through that. Earlier, it's kind of a, it's kind of a misdirect, right? To fool Benedict, who's yes. watching, because they know Benedict's watching, so nothing they say right. is true when Benedict's watching. That is all every, those is everybody they, clear on that? That all those things they're planting are actually timers, not measuring thickness. Exactly. If it's not clear until now. Well, I still think for some people it's not clear. Well, um, the world's a mystery. I know. Great look on Al's face there. The My Diamonds expression? Yeah. yeah. I feel that look, that look is how I feel <laughs> most All of the, the time. time. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's, he, he really captured that. Do you think, I wonder if he he's got that from me. You. Yeah, he's playing. This you. is the first time I've seen the movie where it didn't say. Helicopter, Helicopter continues. continues. Yeah, that used to be slugged in there. That was cold that night. I remember that, shooting this in Vegas. It was uncharacteristically cold. Um, which uh, I, has no bearing on anything. Um, again, but here, ideally I wanted to, if I could figure out a way to play this in one shot, I was looking for a way to do that. And then we have... Our fireworks coming in. I'm not going to harp on the fact that if uh, Ruben lived 
as far out of Las Vegas as he seems to. Those fireworks wouldn't, wouldn't be that big. Certainly wouldn't be that big. Don't ruin the dream for I people. I just did. Yeah. But it's great that you got the Sinatra song in here because of the little way it plays. This was a song thematic. I should not, Oh, God, you know. We didn't talk about David Holmes. We, sh we could spend 30 minutes talking about David Holmes. Who These movies literally, I don't think, work without David's He's the composer. Music. David's the composer of all three soundtracks. No, not of this Sinatra song. No, but what I was going to say is one of the things that David does is he sends me a barrel of of music Songs. that he's gotten from various places. And he had this song in in one of the, the lists. Uh, you don't need the... to use barrels anymore. You can just email stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. You can encrypt files, send them across. Wow. I'm telling you, the next movie. Try that next time. Yeah. Um, I'd never heard this song before. And he, you know, he had it in one of the, quote, files, I guess as Brian <laughs> refers to them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I thought, oh, what a great, you know, is it about Vegas, that song? I think so. It is now. Oh, okay, good. Um, I guess it doesn't matter. And uh, I want to remind everybody, watching smoking is bad for you. I'm so glad you said that. Even cigar smoking actually is, is bad for you. Yeah, it, I don't want to bum people out on that. But yes, it can. it's not great for the mouth and tongue. Another exterior Bellagio shot that I ran around for half an hour trying to figure out. Um... Now, this woman who works for Terry Lanny in real life is yeah. uh, does a that wonderful job. woman who yeah. does that at the Bellagio. She was in Ocean's 12. She's in this one as well. Um, we're very lucky that uh, Terry Lanny, who runs all the MGM properties, which includes several casinos and hotels, it's quite a, quite a huge operation, has let us come in and continue to use his office as a location. Are you going to do that for 14 too? Will you stop with that? You know, I'm I wanted excited to, about remember, I wanted you to. Are, right, absolutely, I'm looking forward to it. When should we clear time? When, yeah, when uh, do we need to... What's this we... There's no way you're not oh. going to do 14. Oh. Remember, I wanted to call this, when we started, I wanted to call it Ocean's 20. Yeah, well, that was when we were going to do the 200-page script with all the characters from both movies. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. In fact, we wrote a version of that script. We had a lot, yeah. With 20... What happened to Ocean's 20? The studio didn't get that Jerry joke. looked at me like I'd grown Jerry... a sexual organ out of my forehead. <laughs> Jerry <laughs> Weintraub. Jerry Weintraub, yeah. Just not, wasn't going to hear it. So we stuck with, uh, stuck with he, 13. He was probably right about it. Yes, absolutely. As he is about but you did have, you have movies. in your minds, didn't you have titles to sort of guide you through each of these movies? We did talk about... Maybe for this one, or at least for the DVD release, the three box, the box set, having Ocean's Eleven, The Return of Danny Ocean, Ocean's Twelve, The Passion of the Heist, and Ocean's Thirteen, Breaking the Bank. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know. I just haven't. I don't know. All you got to do is look at, at inside a child's eyes and... And, uh, this the, Oprah thing is so satisfying to me. I gotta say, it's a great payoff. Well, you, to be able to get her, to get Oprah Winfrey to show up in your movie. No, and she was totally cool. Oh, um, that's awesome. Watching that be taped was surreal because we taped it immediately after they taped a real show. The audience was still there. It was just like the next segment. And she just brought him in. Yeah, as uh, our guest Terry Bennett. Everybody was in on the joke, but I, her operation, I gotta tell you, was so impressive. This was. This was uh, the definition of a well-oiled machine. Everybody there. The other day, I was in a comedy club, and Chris Rock came out, and he said, uh, I hope there's a God. I know there's an Oprah. 
Very good. Yeah. Well, he's good with he's pretty good with that. Good with stuff. that one liner stuff. Yeah. yeah he he's pretty good. handy with that stuff. This we got lucky. You don't know how hard it is in this day and age in our post 9/11 world. Well, some of you may know. Getting an airport, convincing an airport to let you shoot a film nowadays is extremely difficult. They really don't want you there. And we we went in. We told them what the scene was. We told them exactly how long it would take. Um, and they gave us this one area of this of the concourse, and we were out of there before lunchtime. We had to go in at dawn and shoot all of this stuff uh, in four or five hours. And the people, remember how crazy the people went when they saw these guys were there? Did they? I don't remember. Well, you were working. Oh. They did. Maybe you'll get lucky this time. Um, but, thank God we, uh, we got it. I bet Brad really regrets having that tattoo in all three movies. This was so satisfying. I remember coming up together with this, this notion that we had to do something for the, for the VUP. UP. Yeah. And then Dave and I came, we had this idea that uh, we, we had to make it right somehow for him. Because yeah. these guys don't go around hurting people. No, not without, Who don't deserve it. Not without a reason. That's right. true. No, at the time, you know, I'm happy for him. Yeah, we're all happy for I'm him. I'm happy for him. Now, because this is the last of the Oceans films, I decided on these credits to, to really go splashy. I didn't want to be subtle. Don't you? Because look, doesn't you, everybody's name looks nice like that. Well, particularly sure our is. names. Look. I know. Oh, look at all those people who did such a great job who we didn't mention. I didn't like Peter Andrews. That guy, he was a little bit... Just on a personal level. ...off-putting, personally. Well, you know, the hygiene thing that is tough to get around. The cloves. Yeah. Nose death. But what... Um, yeah. That's funny. What's funny? Just Brad. George's credit? Yeah. As Linus, like cause uh, I think people well, this watching this the, movie know that George is Danny Ocean. But this was my point. This is the last one, so I thought we got to go out with. This is definitely the last of the trilogy. This is the this is the last one. The last of the trilogy. This is the, Dave. <laughs> how many how many trilogies have four movies in them? Right. That's why this is the it's last. It's like your fifth, yeah, quadrant. fifth quadrant. This fifth is quadrant. the last of the trilogy. Um. Now looking. Back on all that. Let's look back now. Let's t- let's, let's reminisce. Take a look back. You know, because this this is such a it's a business that generates a lot of nostalgia. Yeah. Um, what uh, what was the high point? And what was the low point for you, the two of you? The high point was this idea that we were going to get to meet you. The low point was meeting me. <laughs> <laughs> so they were very, they happened really close together. It was bang, bang. Wow. Like a photo finish, Dave. It was a bang, bang play. Dave, what are well, you How think? am I going to follow that? Yeah, come on. <laughs> you can follow it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe you, you could, earnest, though. Maybe oh, you could it. be sincere. That's yeah. it. All right, let me try. Let me see. We only have like some credits to go, so think quick, buddy. You've minutes. got like three, four minutes, right? Before we get to the lenses by. Well, the... I mean, the problem for me is the satisfactions of these are are very... There was no low point on this. Come on. I mean, this was unbelievable. Walking... I remember the high point was probably standing on the helipad one day while you were working out a shot. I don't think George had, had worked yet. And it was like, you know, Matt yep. was standing up there, Brad, and then George showed up. 
and he just called up. He was like, hey, guys. And we're just like, wow, we're making an Oceans movie. Right. That was pretty surreal. And no, no, there had to be a low point. Wasn't there some, there had to be some diss that, you know, that happens because the writers, nobody's well giving them the... It's hard to explain, but after like a long week in Vegas at like four in the morning on the last night, it gets a little odd. Yeah. You start to feel like you really need to leave town before something is horribly a, wrong happens is that to your bankroll. Oh, okay. So you're saying that's a Vegas thing, not a movie thing. Yeah. But we were there doing this, so. Right. For me, I think uh, a sincere, if you want, a real high point was, you know, our first movie was with Matt. Right. And it was such a great beginning. And to see have, to see him come on the set of this movie, the first day he showed up for costume, and, and we realized, wow, like in these 10 years, all, all of us, we've all happened. kept in touch right. on this and all this stuff has happened. And now we're going to start this next sort of part together. That was like, that was, was very, cool. very emotionally Absolutely. for us, really cool and, and great. What about for you? Yeah, what about you? Well, I was going to say that the the satisfactions of these kinds of movies are weird because they're they're mouse traps, and so you don't you don't really until they're done. You don't. For me, they're not satisfying until we have all of the pieces and it's all done and all of the music is finished. But at that point, it's so close to no longer belonging to me that that moment is just so fleeting. Of of it's I feel like it's two days where the movie's done, and I can see it finished, and all this work is finished, and literally in the next moment I'm handing it over to Warner Brothers or you know to everyone like it's not mine anymore. Isn't that the ephemeral quality of all of life? Say that again. It just sounded yeah. It sounded like it was um. I don't sounded a little workshopped. I've never said that before in my life. I'm just saying it's Santa rehearsed or works. Like it'd been in your head for a while. That's why you asked the whole question, so it would get back to you. That's not true. Is it a little true? Not even true. I was hoping you guys would be articulate enough to get us through the crawl, which you I can didn't. by asking a question to Dave. Okay, you've got about 30 seconds. Dave? Yeah. What makes a man? Is, Is it. it- Doing what's right? Is that a trick No matter question? how hard? That's a trick question. Is it doing what's right no matter how hard it is? No. Yeah. That's the joke. It's, it's sort of a tradition on commentaries for us. Oh, oh, it is? Yes. Yeah. Oh, talk about That's... workshop. You just busted <laughs> me for workshopping and you just... Thank you all. Oh, wait, lest we forget. Got the JW logo here. We got a best producer in the business. He is no, for real. Nobody else could put this traveling roadshow together. That's true. Thank you all. Good night.